Hey, I want you to open up your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 2. Um, that's where we're going to spend our time uh, this morning. And, and what we're doing is we're talking about unspeakable and unending joy. A joy that just totally captivates our world in, in, a, in a way that, that captivates our imagination, in a way that captivates our heart, in a way that actually it transforms our life from, from the inside out. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to look at Luke 2, and we're going we're gonna to focus in on there. But before we get there, I want to go ahead and uh, pray. Uh, Father, we want to give you this time uh, this morning. This is a, an interesting morning. It's snowing outside. I don't know if any of us expected it to be what it is out there right now. But you brought this group of people, you brought us together into this room to, to hear from, from you. And, and so, Lord, we're going to open up your word and we're going to um, allow you to uh, speak to us. And so I pray that during our time, Lord, you would speak clearly. Lord, that you would um, just unravel and unwrap some things, some truths in your word for us. Things that maybe we, we already even know or we, we're familiar with. But I pray maybe even now that you would illuminate it in a, in a way that just um, recaptures our mind, that recaptures our heart, so that we can be prepared to, to receive the, the gift of, of Christ this uh, season, but also um, to just continue to uh, be changed by it uh, day in and, and day out. So take this time, Lord, I pray. Um, if there's anybody who's in this place of, man, Advent and Christmas is just really hard, uh, I pray that you would be sweet and just so, so good to them. Uh, this morning and in these next couple of weeks as, as we uh, jump headlong uh, into Christmas and Advent. I pray in Jesus' name now. Amen. If you're uh, just now jumping into uh, uh, this series with us, we've been, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Unwrapped. And Unwrapped, what we've been doing is we've been unwrapping what, what's the true meaning behind Advent. And Advent is this idea that we are waiting in angst and we're waiting in hopeful expectation of the, the Savior who was promised, the Rescuer who was promised to come. Um, but not only are we um, captivated and waiting and anticipating the Savior to come, uh, we know that He has come. And so we're also, we're waiting for the day that He's going to come again. There's this angst and this anticipation that we have as we walk in the day in and day out life of, man, He's going to come one day. We don't know exactly when that's going to be, but He's told us, He's promised us that he's going to come again. And, and so Advent is a season of waiting with great anticipation um, for the arrival of Jesus, but it's also waiting in hopeful anticipation that he's going to come again. It's the second arrival of Jesus as well. And, and so two weeks ago, uh, what we talked about was that, uh, that God had sent a, a fantastic gift to us, but the gift that he sent to us wasn't a thing right? It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a thing that's wrapped underneath the tree that's a, a nice paper and a nice bow, but the gift that God sent was, was a person, a, a person in Jesus that brings hope uh, into the world. And uh, uh, last week, we, we jumped into this idea that, that God has chosen, uh, God has uh, uh, chosen extraordinarily ordinary people to share the good news of the gospel. That, that's you and me. And, and what we did is we looked at John, right? And, and we looked at John, and John on the surface, he seems to be completely extraordinary. And, and that would be true, right? Because John uh, had this fantastic start. He had the Holy Spirit from the, from the very beginning. Um, he leapt in the womb uh, uh, of his mama Elizabeth when he saw Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is there and, and is present all the way through. And he does an amazing thing for the kingdom. But when you begin to dig under the surface of John's life, you see that there's something more than this extraordinary. He's actually somewhat quite ordinary because of the perception that the Roman society and the Jewish society would have had of John too. Because John, although he had this fantastic beginning and he was carrying the Spirit and he was speaking uh, the truth of, of 
Jesus to the world and calling people to repent. There's something about him that pushed him outside of the normality of the city. Right? John's walking around in camel hair. He's walking around with a leather belt around his waist. He's eating bugs. He's eating wild honey. He was an outcast in the society. And so when we look at John, what we see is that he becomes this example to us that if you have Jesus, right, that if you and me, if we have Jesus, we are 100% completely qualified to share the good news of Jesus with other people. And here's what happens in the season of Advent. Advent becomes this time where people who are, who are receiving the gift of Jesus don't just receive him in and of ourselves, but we prepare others to receive Jesus as well. And so we do that by opening up our mouth and speaking to others of this good news, and that scares us to death sometimes, right? But when we understand that we're qualified by the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us, we are 100% qualified to go and share the good news. It changes things uh, for us. And so what we're doing this week is we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of the gift of Jesus. And, and, and we're going to ask the question, why? Like, why are so many people so full of joy when, when, when we talk about Jesus? Why are so many people full of joy around the manger? Why are so many people full of joy when they hear of, this, uh, of the, the news that Jesus has come? Because everywhere you look throughout, throughout the, the book of Luke and surrounding the birth narrative of Jesus, man, people are bowing down and they're worshiping. People are falling down and singing out in praise. The, uh, and and like, it seems like everywhere you look, joy is filling the world. And so we have to ask this question, then why? Why are, so, like, why are the angels rejoicing? Why are there shepherds out in the field who are finding themselves so full of joy? Why, why are, are there people that are coming to the side of, 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 the, of the manger and are bowing down and so full of joy? Why is Mary so full of joy that she would ponder all these things in her heart that God has told her already that is going to happen in her life? And what is it about this gift that's causing so much joy? See, it's not like these kids that we just saw in, in the video, right, who are receiving this trash gift and, and, and they're disappointed at what they open up. This gift that came, uh, that was promised so long ago that shows up. I mean, this isn't a trash gift. This is God Almighty who's showing up on the scene. Th this, is, this is the creator of heaven and earth. This is, this is the one who's created the stars at night that, that, that captivate our eyes. He, he's the one who created the, the oceans and the, and the seashores and the beaches that we love to spend time on throughout the, the, the summer times. This is the almighty God who has created the mountains that just totally captivate our minds when we look at him and just blow us away at his majesty and his glory. This isn't a trash gift. Like the people are rejoicing and are so excited because this is a very good gift that God has sent. And so whenever you look throughout Luke, you just see this amazing captivation that's taking place that is filling the people full of joy. And when I was reading um, this this week, I just kept coming back to this idea, though, of why, right? Why? Why are so many people full of joy here in the book of, of Luke? And what I saw when I was reading was this. In Jesus' birth, there is an extremely good God who is sending a great gift in Jesus to a world that doesn't deserve it. I'm going to say that again. There's a completely good God who's sending a great gift in Jesus to a world that didn't deserve it. He's sending a gift to people who didn't deserve it. People like you and me, who get tangled up in a mess sometimes that we shouldn't be in. 
people like, not the cleaned up version of us, right, <laughs> that shows up on a Sunday and we've got our Sunday best on or we got, you know, just something like we're showing and we're, we're making a good presentation of ourselves. We're not talking about cleaned up version of us. We're talking about snotty nose, smart mouth us that gets tangled up in sin sometimes and we find ourselves in things that we shouldn't be involved in. We're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We're saying things that we shouldn't be saying. We find, I'm talking about the us that finds ourselves in messes. And, and, and the good news was that there was a God who sent a great gift into a world that didn't deserve it to snotty nose, smart mouth people like us. And, and when you don't deserve this kind of a gift, when you don't deserve anything good, and when somebody decides to give you grace and, 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 and to pour out not only the mercy, but to give you more than what you deserve, the, 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 the expression of our heart is overwhelming joy. The expression of our heart is to enter into this place like, man, I know I don't deserve that, but thank you for, for, for this. And so people now, like they, they've been waiting for a really long time. They've been in a mess for a really long time. And, and, and now something's happening here. I, I mean, think about this, right? Adam and Eve, they're, they're, they're in the garden with God, unhindered. They're spending time with him. And, and God says, hey, here's the world. It's yours. I'm with you. You have everything that you need. And, and then Adam and Eve, they say, you know what? No, we're good. You know that thing over there you told us not to touch? You think that thing you told us or that thing you told us not to eat from? You know what? I feel like you're holding something back on us. And so uh, we, we want more than what you've given to us. And so they go and they eat from this tree. And, and so they sin. And then uh, brokenness comes into the world. Sin enters into the world. Things aren't perfect anymore. And so God says, oh my gosh, this, this isn't good. This isn't good. Now, now things are broken. Uh, and our relationship is broken. My presence with you now is different. And, and, and now what's going to happen, I'm going to have to push you outside of the garden. Because if you were to stay here in this garden, in my presence, you, you, you would die. And so you can't stay here. Like We don't have the same type of relationship right now but I'm not done with you. Like, I promise I'm going to send a rescue. I promise I'm going to send somebody to fix this thing. Like, it's not going to stay like this at all. Like, I'm going to crush the head of the enemy. He's promising that he's going to send Jesus, right? But he says, but even in crushing the enemy, the, the head or the, the, the foot of Jesus is going to be bruised. And we know that he's going to go to a cross. And he's going to die. But yet he's going to be resurrected. He's going to go be seated next to the Father. But he says, I'm not going to leave this situation the way it is right now. I'm going to send you a rescuer. I promise, I promise, I promise sin and brokenness aren't going to win. It's not going to always be like this. But he doesn't send this rescuer right away. He doesn't come right then. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but the longer I wait for something, uh, the, 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 the more angst fills my life, uh, the more that I begin to wonder, is it actually ever going to happen, right? My, my hope begins, uh, seems to kind of uh, diminish. There's, I start off with this anticipation and, and hopeful angst that, that things could be different, that things could be changing, or, or that thing. How many of y'all do Amazon Prime, right? Like we do Amazon Prime because Amazon itself isn't fast enough. We do Amazon Prime because it sometimes it's faster than we can actually make it to the store. Right? Like I, I will order things on Amazon Prime and get mad because it didn't show up on two days. And, and like, like there's this angst. And when it doesn't show up, like it, it says it's going to show up somewhere between 8 and 9 p.m., you know, that day. And I'm checking 3 o'clock. Why isn't it here? Like, and, and then I know it's supposed to come that day, but then my hope begins to diminish. Like maybe it's not going to come today. Like I said, 9 o'clock, but maybe it's not. Like maybe today isn't the day it's going to come. And, and so my hopeful anticipation begins to, to go out the window. See, like, that's not a painful kind of a thing, really. But nobody likes to wait when you're in pain. 
Nobody likes to wait for something to get you out of your pain. Like when you're in trouble and you need help, nobody likes to, to wait for that. And the longer you wait for it, it just seems like hope seems to, to dissipate. Now, one of the, one of the things that, uh, that happened to me when I was growing up as a kid um, was that I would get in trouble a lot, okay? Anybody else get in trouble in here? Three of us, okay. Th- three of us got in trouble, and you're going to do the rest of us like that and act like you didn't do anything growing up, okay? Yeah, three of us got in trouble, but here's what happened to me. When I, when I was growing up, I would get in trouble, and my parents, here's what they'd do. They would say, now, go to your room and wait. Wait for what? Like, what's going to happen? Anybody have to go to the room and wait when you were growing up? Yeah. Like, when you go to your room and you wait, man, like, that is terrible. Because you know that you're in trouble. You know that something's coming your way. And, and you're just like, what's it going to be this time? Is it going to be the guillotine? Right? Is it going to be, like, this awful spank? Is it going to be a switch? Some of y'all had parents where you're like, they're going to come and they're going to talk my ear off. Some of y'all had parents that you knew they were going to come and they were going to inflict some pain. And some of y'all just wish somebody would come and, and talk to you to help straighten out some things. But like I, like I would, when you're in trouble in, the, in that and you know that, that, that help is on the way or that it could be better than what you're in right now, you don't want to wait. Just like, give it to me now, right? Don't make me go to my room and wait. See, Adam and Eve, they had caused this huge rift in heaven and earth. Adam and Eve had caused this huge rift in the creator and the creation and the world And people were longing for this thing to be put back together, for everything to be made right. And they're waiting for the Savior that was supposed to show up and fix it. But it hadn't happened yet. And so God said, I'm going to fix it. And and the world is saying, I know you said you're going to fix it, but when are you going to fix it? You see, one of the fundamental principles that we need to know about God is, is that he keeps his promises, right? Like if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it because it's in his nature. It's his character. It's who he is. He can't lie. Scripture says that he's not a man that he should lie. He keeps his promises. And so if God says he's going to do it, he is going to do it. But at the same time, there's another fundamental principle that we need to know about God is that he doesn't work on our timetable, right? Like he, he doesn't work within our time scale. He doesn't bow down to, to when we think he's supposed to act. Like he's got this kingdom economy that is working all things out to the way that he wants it to work out and when he wants it to work out according to his time scale. He doesn't need to bow down to our time scale because he's working all things out the way that he needs and the way that he wants. And he says he's going to fix it and he has a plan to fix it. The problem is we don't always like the timetable of his plan, Right? When we're in trouble, we don't want to wait. And if we're being honest, it's not only the timetable that we don't like. Sometimes we, we would say that we don't even like his plan. We don't even like that he allows pain to come into our life to start off with. We don't even like the fact that there's this waiting game that I have to have before he's going to intervene or waiting to say, is he actually going to, to intervene or not? And for Israel, it was taking forever. And the longer they waited, the more they wondered and the more they pondered the thought that maybe it's not actually going to happen. And so I wonder how many people on this particular night was expecting that the Savior was going to come, right? I wonder how many people were actually expecting that the Savior was going to come even within their, their lifetime. Now, we know that Simeon was waiting. So, I mean, because God had promised Simeon, like, I'm not going to let your eyes close for the last time until you get to see the face of the Savior. So he had this direct promise that before you die, you're going to get to see the face of the Savior. But how many people do you actually think were expecting Jesus to show up right then? I mean, because this, is, this has been 400 years since the last, prophet, the, last, the last prophet spoke. 
even longer since the prophecy had been promised that a rescuer was going to come, right? This has been a really, really long time. So how many, do you, how many people do you actually think was going to expect the Savior coming this particular night? And so what I want to do is I want us to look at Luke 2 and to see this great cause of joy, this unexpected joy that takes place. So look at Luke 2, Luke 2 here from the very beginning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. <clears throat> and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there is no place for them in the inn. Right, when, when, you're, when you're reading Scripture, you, you have to know that if something is in the text, it's there for a reason, right? That, that, that there's, there's nothing that's in there that's just randomly there because, oh, we thought it would be good to fill it out. Like, if there's something in the text, it's there for a reason. And so when we come to this, we've got to ask, like, why is he giving us all this historical context? right? Like, why? Like, who cares who's governor at the time? Who cares what the timeline is when this governor was, was on the scene? What Luke is doing is, is that he is giving us the historical context and saying this is a historical event that actually took place. This, this went down in, in history. Uh, he's telling us who the governors were. He's telling us when they were there. And, and see, the, the Romans, they, they had this uh, interesting thing that they would do. It's like they, they would do a census every so many years. And, and, be, and they loved to count people because they wanted to, everybody, they wanted to know, just how bad are we? Like, how tough are we? I mean, how much of the world are we actually controlling right now? And so they would count. And they would, and they would see, like, how, like, this is the portion of the world that we are controlling right now. And so what, what Luke is doing is he's showing that this is an event that actually took place in history, that we can put a timeline on this. Now, there's some squabbling about when this date actually took place, but you can look in the history books and say, hey, this happened. This governor was here. This is a timeline that he existed, and so this isn't just some figment of our imagination. Like, this event actually went down. And, and so Luke gives us this detail so we can have a historical context for it. But then because this is God-breathed text, right? And it's here for a purpose. Luke has another reason. He wants us to know that God is completely sovereign, that he is in complete control over everything in his creation, even over a pagan country, even over a pagan dominant Rome in, in the Roman society. He is even in control uh, of them. He's sovereign over his people. He's sovereign over his creation. See, Rome had no concern for, for the true God of creation, right? But God's working out all these details of history to, fill, to fulfill his promises. Luke is showing us the sovereignty of a good God who's able to work all of history together in his timetable, in his time frame, in order to bring about his purposes and, and rescue plan. Now see, Joseph and Mary, they're living in Nazareth at the time, Right? They're living in this, in this area, this region called Galilee. They're nowhere near this place called Bethlehem. And this is a problem, right? Because Micah, uh, the prophet, he tells us that the Savior, this rescuer, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That the Savior is going to be born in this place. Well, Mary and Joseph, they're not in Bethlehem at the time. And, and so if Mary truly is carrying the Son of God, 
if she truly is carrying this Savior and this rescuer that, that God is bringing into the earth, well, she's got to get to Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, they, they, they've got to get there. And so in his goodness, right, and, and in his sovereignty, God uses this, this Roman census to fulfill his promise. He uses the Romans, the pagan Roman culture, the senses that they're counting their people, this thing that is designed for pride to show us how much are we controlling of this world to, to fulfill his promises. You see, God is working all of creation together for his rescue plan. And, and then while they're in Bethlehem, one of the greatest signs, one of the greatest demonstrations of power and grace happens. Th this turning event of history, Jesus is born. Emmanuel, God with us. He steps into the cesspool of sin that the world has become. He steps into the cesspool of sin that, 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 that the world has, has be, and it's become so messy, and he enters into this. He steps into the mess. And, and we have him being born here in Bethlehem. Look at verse 8. And in the same region, outside of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Now, if we're honest, when, when we read these words, for, for many of us, like the, these words, they just kind of roll off the tongue, right? These words are precious to us, and, and we hold them dear because they're so important to us, and, and they're so important to us because we see them from the 21st century eyes. Like, when we, when we look at this text, these words are so important and so powerful to us because we see it on this side of history, on, this, on, on the context of this side of what's gone down. But I want, what I want to do right now is I want you to push beyond the 21st century eyes. I want you to put on some first century eyes, and, and I want you to uh, see this, uh, maybe even like you've never seen it before, begin to hear it in a way that you've never heard the story before. Like, pretend like, like this is new to you. Because we have the advantage of the 21st century. We have the advantage of this side of history. These shepherds don't have that, right? These shepherds, they're out in a field. They're, they're outside in this, this little town of Bethlehem. They've never seen anything like this before. They've never heard anything like this before. Really, really at the time, Bethlehem wasn't even really that big of a deal. Now, Bethlehem for us is a big deal right? Because it, it's the city of the kings. It's the city of David. It, it brings about the lineage uh, of the Savior. Um, it, it's important to us because we know Boaz and, and we know Ruth, and so we, so we hold it dear. It, it's important to us because we know that this is the place that, that Jesus was born. But at this time, when these shepherds are out in the field in Bethlehem, this was an insignificant little town. There's no highways. There's no street lights. There's no electricity. And if there's no electricity, there's, there's no electrical transformers that have the tendency to blow sometimes. And when those things blow, there, there's bright lights that fill the sky. They've never seen anything like this before. Co commentators, they, they say that actually um, there are probably uh, somewhere between the realm of 300 people and, and maybe all the way up to 1,000 people, but no more than 1,000 people who are living in Bethlehem during this time. Now think about that. Think about the size of Ashland, right? We've got more than 1,000 people who live here, but we would consider ourselves a small town. Bethlehem is smaller than Ashland is, and yet this is the city, this is the town, this little town of Bethlehem 
that Jesus is, is being born in. They've never encountered anything like this. And, and it had been over 400 years since people had heard a prophetic word from God. Nobody's expecting that this promised Savior is coming on, on this night. Nobody's expecting that he's going to show up in this little insignificant town of Bethlehem, right? We sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. It's because there's nobody who's living out in this place. It's a small little town. And Luke says that you have these shepherds who are out in the field, and they're tending to these sheep out at nighttime. Let's take just a quick look at, at, at these shepherds, right? If anybody knew what it was like to be in a mess, it's these guys. Like the proverbial mess, right? That's a, the mess of life. But they know what it's like to be in an actual mess. I mean, these guys are shepherds. They're dealing with sheep. Sheep are stinky. Sheep make a mess. They're walking around out in the fields. These guys are walking around dirty. They know the proverbial mess of sin that their lives are in, and they also know the, the actual life of mess that they're in. And, and, and see, now shepherds, they have this rap uh, for not being stand-up men in, in the town. Uh, they weren't the, the city council leaders. Um, they, they weren't the presidents of the PTO boards. Like they, they weren't the guys that you went to. They weren't the wise sages of the town, all right? These were guys who actually were considered um, guys with rap sheets. They, they, these were people that were pushed outside of the city because of the line of work. They, they did dirty, unclean work, so they certainly weren't allowed to go to the, to the synagogue and to the temple. Um, they, they had been pushed out from society because they were considered thieves. They were considered filthy and unclean. Um, these guys were outcast in the normal society. And so for them, they always found themselves, they weren't, not only were they outcasts in the, in the society, they weren't really even allowed to, to come into the city. And so living outside of Bethlehem, where there's really nothing out there, and, and, and having the rap sheet that they have, considering to be thieves and unclean, you're not considering these fields to be these havens of righteousness, right? They're not sitting around the fireplace talking about God. They're not sitting around the fireplace contemplating on, on how their lives could be better and how they're hoping that their lives are going to be turned out. They're not waiting for the Savior out in these fields. They had no idea that this was about to happen in their world this night. They're, they stayed outside of the town. Now, now think about this. Can you imagine anybody better to be the first ones to hear about the good news of Jesus? Can you think of anybody better than those who would have considered themselves outsiders, those who would think that, man, I am too messy. My life is, I'm not even allowed in the place where we can worship God. I'm not even allowed to even go in there so I can hear about God. Can you think of anybody better for Jesus to show up with, to God to send his gift of grace in Jesus than these guys? The very people that Jesus came to save. It's not going to be very long before we read words like this, like um, Jesus grows in wisdom and in stature. And then a little while later, we read words like these that, um, and he's talking to the Pharisees and he's talking to groups of people. He said, I didn't come for those who are well. I didn't come for those who had their lives all figured out or thought they had their lives all figured out. I didn't come to those who were clean and could check the block and had everything in order. He says, I came for those whose lives were a mess. I came for the messy ones. I came for those who were sick. And what he was doing is he was reminding the people that he came for all people, not just the ones who can get themselves to church on time on Sunday. Not just the ones who could get all cleaned up and, and, and put a good show in, in, in front of people. Now, I can't think of a better way for, for God to, to put, on the, put, put flesh on the promise of Abraham's seed being a blessing to all the world than to send Jesus to this group of people, to these shepherds who are actually physically 
and proverbially living in this mess. Now, now watch what happens in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I want you to try to imagine this, right? Like these men, they're out in the field. Uh, there, there's uh, the, the only light that they are, tip, they, they are used to seeing is the light of the night sky through the stars and, and the fire that they're, they're used to warming themselves up out in the fields. They're not, like, it, it's, it's not a big city, right? They're, it's a small town. It's first century. It's dark. There's no electricity out here. And then all of a sudden, the angel shows up. And when the angel shows up, the sky explodes with all this light. Scripture says it was the glory of the Lord shining all around them. And when that happens, they hit the ground in fear. (laughs) These guys aren't expecting this stuff to happen that night. This wasn't their plan for the evening. They weren't expecting that the sky was going to light up in in a way that they'd never seen before. 400 years waiting and losing hope. And then, verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And we know this this good news that brings great joy is is, it's the gospel. It's the euangelion. It's the good news. It's the gospel of of Jesus. And it brings great joy. And the reason why it brings so much joy is because it was for everybody. It wasn't to this isolated group of people that had been carrying on this story of God for a long time. This was a, a, a good news and a salvation that was for all people. And and if it's really great news, the best way to get started is to start with shepherds who think that they're on the outside of God's grace, who think that there is no way that that they could be within God's reach. See, it hadn't been, it hadn't just been a a super long time for these guys. Like for for these guys, like like they were, like they were outcasts. They weren't even allowed to hear about the good news of God on a regular basis. And, And the reason why this is such good news is that Jesus was willing to step into their mess and to save them. The reason why this is good news to us is because Jesus was willing to step into our mess and, and to, to save us too. They weren't excluded any longer. Those who weren't, uh, cons- weren't allowed to be considered insiders are now able to be insiders and were not excluded either. And here, here's what the angel says in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And if one angel here isn't enough, this whole heavenly host of angels starts showing up and praising God. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Even the angels are rejoicing. They've been waiting for the day where this actually happens. They know the story. They know that God is is, is coming. They know that he's going to be Emmanuel. They know that Jesus is going to come as the greatest gift that's ever been received. And now it's happening, and they get to see it. And so they're rejoicing with all of the earth as well. Now now watch what happens when this good news shows up for the first time to these guys. But look at the joy. There's so much joy that fills these shepherds that they're they're willing to leave their their flocks. They're willing to take off to see what's going on out in the, or what's going on uh, if this this news truly is good news. Because if this wasn't good news for them, if they didn't feel like this was good news for them, there's no way that they would be leaving their livelihood behind. There's no way that they're taking off without their sheep. This was unexpected and unspeakable joy. Look at verse 15. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go check this out. Anybody else want to go check that out if you were in the field that night too? And they went with haste. They ran, right? They weren't wasting any time. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Like, hey, this just happened. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, who knew the story, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Guys, why is there so much joy that's happening here in Luke? I think it's because there is a, a good God who sends a great gift into a world that doesn't deserve it. There is a good God who sends a great gift to people who don't deserve it. There's a good God who sends a great gift to people like you and me. Again, not cleaned up version of us. Not, not the one where, where we're checking the block and saying we've got it all figured out and, and we're doing all the right things. This is snotty-nosed, smart-mouthed, getting into trouble, finding ourselves in a mess, causing drama, getting in the middle of drama. This is, this is the us that finds ourselves in this mess. And it's good news that brings great joy because we weren't on, on the outside of salvation, that Jesus still was willing to step into our mess so that we might know him and to fix what was broken a long, long time ago. He said, I'm coming to fix it, and he was coming to fix it. And here he was. Salvation was, was here. People were so excited because he actually fulfilled his promise. He said, I'm coming, and, and here he is. And, and so they were excited and because the wait's over. Salvation, that's here. And, and so that leaves a question for us. Uh, this is why these guys are rejoicing. This is why the world seems to be rejoicing. But what about us? You know, we read this story now. We read Luke 2. Here we are, 20, you know, we're 2,000 years later. And we're, sitting, we're sitting in these seats uh, on a snowy Sunday morning, getting ready for Christmas. We're, we're doing the shopping bid, and we're, we're going out into the stores, or ordering things. What do you need? What do you want? We got the list, and we want to surprise people around us. But what is it about this story right now that still causes us to have so much joy in, in, in our lives, this unending joy? What is it about Advent? What is it about Christmas? I, I think it's because we see ourselves in the shepherds, right? We see the shepherds and we see ourselves in, the, in these shepherds as well. That, that we realize that, man, if, if they can come to the Lord, if there's salvation for them, if there's salvation for the world, we see that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, that we've never been too far gone that we've never been too far from the Savior, that His reach can extend to us as well. Like we get messy, we cause drama, we get tangled up, we inflict pain on others, we receive pain from others, we show up sometimes and cause drama, we uh, don't show up at other times and cause drama. There are times where we even surprise ourselves at the things that we're capable of getting into. We, we look at the situation, find ourselves like, wow, I didn't even know I could do this. Like, like, here I am, but I'm dancing right here in the middle of it. And we surprise ourselves. But even in that mess, we realize that we were never too far gone. I think we see ourselves in the shepherds. And, and we see that if he could save them, that he could bring us out of the mess that we're in also. You see, the arrival of Jesus, and when you think about Advent, 
Like it takes us in, into this place where, where we receive the gift of the Savior, right? We know that he's come in. But for us today, like it didn't stop. It didn't stop in Bethlehem. Like Jesus grows up. He goes to his cross. He gives up his life. And he takes on our sin and he dies. So salvation doesn't happen if he doesn't go to the cross. And so we find this hope in the fact that he came, but we also find this hope in the fact that he's coming again. And the promise that he gave didn't stop there in Bethlehem. Like he's still healing. He's still bringing hope. He's still bringing uh, um, uh, hope in the midst of our, of our anxiety. He, he's, he's still the one who, who's, who's uh, saving people today. He keeps loving. He keeps changing us from, from the inside out. He keeps moving us and, 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 and taking us to the place of who he's actually called us to be. And we're growing into this thing that he's given to us. And, and so we find hope and we find joy today, not only because we, we see ourselves in the shepherds, but because he still walks with us. He's still in the midst of of it with us. When he left, like he lived a perfect life, he, he went on the cross and he died, and now he's, he's ascended and he sits next to the Father, he's seated at his right hand, but he sent the Holy Spirit to be in our lives. So he's still present with us. He still walks into this life with us, and so we don't walk in it alone. And so he's still healing broken hearts. He's still healing bitterness. He's still healing us uh, from anger and selfishness. He still gives us peace. He can change us from the inside out because he stepped in and rejoice be, and we rejoice because he did a work then but he's still doing a work now right and i, I i'm not naive right I, I know rejoicing is hard i know it's hard to find joy in some situations and for some this is one of the hardest seasons that that we'll walk through for for all kinds of different reasons it's, it's a first in, in so many different ways for for us who have who have lost um loved ones in the past um, or we want to be with somebody that we're not with. And, and, and I know that, that this time of year can be really, really hard. And so we look around like, what on earth can I really find joy in? And, and so <clears throat> because of that, I just want to give you a, a few quick ways. Right? Because sometimes the things that we can rejoice in are right underneath our nose. And so when we walk out, here's some things that we can do. Um, uh, find joy in everything this week, right? You're going you're gonna to go out and you're going you're gonna to spend time doing certain things. You're going to be shopping. You're going to be doing all that. But find joy in everything, right? You go to McDonald's and, and, you, and you get french fries and you get done with your package of french fries and you look in the bag and there's extra french fries in the bag. Thank God there's more french fries. Like, I'm not done. Right, there's more in here. Like, you, you, you pull out a, a pair of jeans out of the, the closet and, and you find an extra five in, in, in the pocket. Like, you didn't know it was there. Praise God that you got five more bucks to go get more french fries, right? Like, like, like whatever that is. Like, praise God in the little things. There are sometimes there are things that are just right underneath of our, our noses that we just fail to rejoice God or fail to, to, give, uh, to give glory and honor to God for. Like these little itty-bitty things in our life. So everything this week, no matter how small or how big, God, thank you for this. And some of you are like, man, like, there's nothing. There's nothing in my life that I can rejoice in. Maybe for you this, this week, the, the thing that you rejoice in is the fact that that day is going to end, and that you're rejoicing in the fact that tomorrow is a new day, and that he's going to give you strength to make it through the day that you're in. And so tomorrow is a day where you get to rejoice because, man, I made it to another one. I didn't know that I could, but here I am. Thank you, God, that yesterday ended, and now I get to start fresh. I get to start new. Um, Advent, again, it's this season where we're not just preparing our own hearts but we're preparing, uh, helping others prepare their hearts too. And so maybe you help somebody else rejoice. You, you help somebody else find joy in their life. You, you, got, you got a friend who's broke or busted. Say, man, hey, uh, I just found five bucks in my pocket. I'm gonna take you to coffee. 
And, and so you, you take them to, to coffee. Um, th- this week, um, there, there's a group of people from, from RCC that got together and, and went caroling, and they were singing, and they were bringing joy to, to people who were in uh, the nursing homes around town. Man, it was so fun to see just the, the face of, of people light up. Maybe you gather your family, you're gra- gathered together with some of your friends, and you hit your street, and you go sing some Christmas. Oh, I'm too old for it. I'm too serious for it. We're not going to do that. Maybe you get together, and you go start singing some Christmas carols with people on your street. And, and then, like, as you sing carols with, with people on your street, like the people you know, maybe branch out to somebody that you know doesn't know Jesus and show up at their house and sing and, and help them see the goodness of who God is. Let them know that there was a baby who was born in Bethlehem that didn't stay a baby, who grew up, and he became salvation for everybody of this world. It's good news for great joy for all people. Like, you, you can rejoice this Christmas because of the gift of Jesus, and it's all around us. Would, would you pray with me? Father, thanks for uh, time together this morning. Thanks for the ability just to, just to sit down and be cozy together and to look at Luke 2 maybe with, with new eyes, maybe, maybe to, to look and to, maybe our joy tank has been a little bit low and just to be reminded that Jesus was great news. He was good news that was bringing great joy. And we give glory to God by finding things to, to, ha- to take joy in, this creation that he's given us, the fact that we find our salvation in him, the fact that he entered into our mess. God, thank you that you didn't leave us alone, that you promised that you were going to come, and, and holy smokes, you did, <laughs> in a way that nobody expected you to come, on a day that nobody expected you to come, and you brought unending joy to us. And so, Father, we're going to leave these doors in, in just a few minutes, but I pray that we, we leave full of hope and full of joy, ready to give you glory in all things, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.